Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place among the FreightWaves family of freight casts where we talk about lots of things, but we always take a look at that magic fuel that makes this industry go. That's oil I am referring to and the product that comes from a diesel. But we also talk about a hot topic of the times. Today, it's driver pay. We're going to be joined by Dave Abels, the relatively new president and CEO of Dart Transportation. Dart was one of the first companies that put through a driver pay increase in this recent round of them. He's going to be with us in a few minutes. There was some interesting analysis of the diesel market this past week. First of all, diesel on commodity markets did have one of the strongest two-day markets or two-day increases on Monday and Tuesday since early June when you measured the two of them together as a percentage gain. That reversed itself to some degree by Wednesday when it appeared that Hurricane Delta might not rampage through key refining centers. The threat of that was clearly one of the reasons why prices had moved up earlier in the week. But really, what was more interesting was the monthly report of the Department of Energy. It's called the Short-Term Energy Outlook, STEO for short, and it's put out by DOE's Energy Information Administration. It projects all sorts of things, including prices. The price of diesel will always be set mostly by the price of crude. But after that, there can be a lot of movement in the value of crude oil compared to the value of diesel. It's known as the crack spread, and it can be very volatile. It can also be measured in different ways. The easiest way to measure it that I like to do for the FreightWaves audience is to just take the front month crude futures contract and subtract that from the price of the ultra-low sulfur diesel contract on the CME. I know that sounds simple, and believe me, among oil watchers, there would be objections to this methodology, but we're going to just keep it simple here. To make it as comparable to a retail price as possible, we've always converted the price of crude into cents per gallon and then compared that to the diesel price, which, of course, is already in cents per gallon. Toward the end of 2018, that spread was more than 40 cents per gallon. It was over 40 cents per gallon in March of this year when the pandemic first hit and the need to run a lot of trucks to restock shelves was very, very high. But as we've noted at other times here on Drilling Deep, refiners wanted to avoid making gasoline in the early days of the pandemic, and they still want to avoid making jet fuel since the amount of flying going on is a fraction of what it was before the pandemic. But if they are going to keep their refineries going, then they need to make something. So they made a lot of diesel, really more than the world needed. And now in the U.S., inventories relative to consumption are near record highs. As a result, that spread between Brent and ULSD is measured at a level of about 15 cents per gallon, maybe a third of what it was at its highest levels in late 2019 and the stronger markets of early 2020. What the STEO said is that things aren't likely to change. First of all, the EIA's prediction for crude prices out to the fourth quarter of next year shows only a small increase, maybe adding 5 to $6 over the course of the year from its fourth quarter estimate of a little over $40. And as I record this, that's about where West Texas Intermediate is. But what's more interesting is that the EIA looks at the spread between crude and diesel and sees it rising just a few cents per gallon. The, the amount is so small, it, it's almost, it might as well be zero. The agency is calling for an increase that are well below, an increase in levels that are already well below historic norms. It's not predicting any sort of breakout for diesel prices to get it back toward more normal spreads for any part of 2021. That's pretty striking that because one thing about markets is that over time, they do tend to snap back toward norms. That's why they're called norms. But not here. The diesel market is considerably oversupplied through heavy inventories. Jet fuel is not expected to rebound maybe for years 
And the end result is that no matter how much they will try not to, refineries will not be able to cut their supply of diesel relative to demand enough to draw down those excess inventories. Side note, just having said that, they did draw last week according to government data, but that's just one week. The report basically just continues the good news for consumers of diesel. The report is not as optimistic for truckers who made a living and a good one in the oil patch over these past several years. It doesn't see much of a recovery over the next year in drilling activity, and that's still going to mean a lot of trucks that used to work that area aren't going to be needed. But the report is another sign that the combination of high over-the-road trucking rates, if they hold, and low diesel prices is likely to continue through the end of 2021. And now we are going to turn our attention to some news that got a lot of interest out there. And why wouldn't it? It's about something we all care about, and that's getting paid. You know, it was Schneider, who was the first big carrier that announced a pay increase for drivers a few weeks ago, at least publicly. At Freightways, we ran a story on that, and that brought us a lot of secondary information about other companies, many of them smaller, actually all of them smaller, that had also raised prices. And one of those was Dart Transportation. Dart is a Minnesota-based trucking company, privately owned, but it's got a new president, Dave Abels. Dave spent some time graciously speaking with me about the increase in pay that his company put through, gave me a very good perspective on what was going on out there. And the conversation was interesting enough that I thought I'd try to get him on drilling deep, and he agreed. So here he is, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I look forward to talking to you today. Okay, so I do want to point out that you are a relative that you are relatively new to the job as president of DART. You took over earlier this year. Why don't we, before we get into the pay increase discussion, why don't you talk a little bit about DART uh, and uh, where the markets it's active in? Yeah, so DART uh, Network is made up of a few different companies. We've got DART Advantage Logistics, which is about a hundred million dollar logistics arm, uh, primarily brokering dry freight. Uh, we do some dray work, uh, some different container work, and things. They're based here out of our Egan, Minnesota facility. Uh, we've also got a company called Mainstream, which is a Dre company I oversee out of Memphis, Tennessee. They run about 150 power units. And then we've got uh, Dart Express, which is a regional relay day cab operation running around 150 tractors. And they uh, do regional relays throughout the Midwestern component of the country. And then we've got the mothership, which is Dart Transit. And that's a company that's fluctuates anywhere from 1,500 to 1,700 trucks that are seated at any given time, depending on the day, week, or month of the year, John. All right. So we're talking about a big operation. And so when you confront an issue like raising pay, it's not one that you can do that easily. I'm sure it takes a lot of consideration. So why don't you talk about the process by which you came to the decision? First, I do. Let's, let's get the time frame set. I think you told me your pay increase went into effect in early August. Yeah, the first week of August. So really, we started thinking about this. I mean, it's really, I guess every CEO would think about it almost annually or throughout the year. But we started to see some issues with recruiting, inbound recruiting, come mid-July. Now, obviously, 2020 has been different than any other year we've ever experienced with COVID-19. So your normal cycles of turnover and hiring are different this year. We really didn't see much turnover at all in March, April, and May based on the fact that drivers probably weren't able to get into other orientation classes. Many carriers were holding tight. Then all of a sudden, we saw a bit of a spike in turnover as the country started to open back up a little bit come June and July. 
So we started to look at our compensation packages, looked at the National Transportation Institute, has a pretty good study. The ATA puts out a very good study of different companies. And then I've got a peer group of different executives at companies all across the country that I talked to. So we started doing our market intel. And then we had a very complex system here, John. We had probably 57 different pay rates. One of the things that was my goal as the new CEO was to streamline that. So really, it all kind of worked as a perfect storm. We were able to streamline that down to about five pay packages at the same time that we really needed to do that to grow. Um, What I would tell you is since August 6th, we've got a 38% turnover rate on our independent contractors and just slightly above that on our company drivers. So it's done a very, very good job on the retention side. We're still lagging a little bit on the inbound recruiting side, but as you know well from working with freight waves, uh, where's a capacity issue out there right now? So it's not just the DART network that's struggling to get on new people regardless of the pay rate. It's that the drivers just aren't out there for anyone right now. And, and that's prompting us to raise rates. Let's talk about the specifics. Okay, so you you increased your base pay for independent contractors to $1.05 per mile from $0.95 cents per mile. For drivers operating on a percentage basis, the size of the percentage they took home from a load increased to 68% from 65%. You also made a change in the fuel surcharge program, which you estimated was going to put about another $0.08 cents per mile into the hands of drivers. And uh, and that's I mean eight cents. That's significant, given that the base pay went up ten. Yeah. Uh, and then in addition to that, John, we uh, looked at the escrows for maintenance and different things on their lease trucks. I brought in a new vice president of maintenance. The gentleman's name is Paul Pettick. Worked with me back at Cam Transport. We did an analysis on what we were actually spending by model year, and we were over accruing a little bit in our maintenance escrow. So we lowered the maintenance escrow. So the maintenance escrow went down by six, fuel goes up by six, pay goes up by 10. That's a huge differential. Right. And then, and then you've, you also made another change that payment for drivers, drivers operating under leases were cut by $400 per month, dropping the average lease payment to $2,200 from $2,600. So um, I, let's talk about the, the, the mileage and the percentage. Um, it was interesting to me. Uh, you know, obviously, there's no such thing. I guess there is such thing as an average load. But um, if I guess if the load is going longer, then maybe you're better off getting paid by the mile. In other times, maybe you're better off getting paid by percentage. Is there a, what's kind of the split among your drivers? How many of them prefer to drive on the rate per mile, and how many prefer to them to drive on percentage? And has that shifted as a result of these changes? Well, here's what I would tell you: great question. Probably a seventy thirty split. Seventy percent would be on the cent per mile, and then thirty percent on the percentage. What we are seeing, though, with capacity as tight as it is and the spot market rising as much as it has, is there are a lot of people that would want to migrate off of the cent per mile, even with those increases, because the rates are high right now. The positive there is we partner with ATBS and they do accounting services and consultation with all of our contractors. And we had them put together a 12-month study. And so even though there's spikes in the peak market right now or the spot market, If you look at the big picture over the aggregate of 12 months, you're still better off on a a level cent per mile program. And again, that's a survey that went back 12 months. If the spot market stayed in place for 12 months, that might not be applicable. But we both know those things typically come and go in monthly or quarterly increments. 
And then how often can they switch? I mean, let's say I'm a driver. Can I do one load on a on a rate per mile and then five days later do one on a percentage basis? Or do I have to lock in for a year? Uh, we don't have to lock in for a year necessarily, but it is a contract change. Um, so ideally, we would like you to be on one contract and not switch back. I would tell you, since the spot market's really peaked recently, we've probably moved four or five back um, out of 800. So that's not too bad. Ideally, we really want you to stick with it for the long haul. Um, you know, the, the nice thing, too, about the cent per mile thing is it doesn't matter what you haul, right? It doesn't matter right. if it's a head haul or a back haul. It's uniform in the pay. It doesn't matter which customer it is. It's uniform in the pay. So from a company perspective, it gives me the ability to service my end customer better. Um, there's not a lot of picking and choosing. If I was completely in a percentage-based environment, Everybody would want to second guess the plan and try to go with sit sit back and wait for that four dollar load that may not come. Right? Um, we've got a great customer base here at the Dart Network, and we need to be able to service those guys to their expectation, which is anywhere from ninety five to ninety nine percent on time. So that cent per mile thing really gives us the opportunity to be able to do that better. So, you know, I, I, we go back to 2018. A lot of companies that have raised rates recently said, well, it's the first time we've done it since 2018. And back then, the, the battle for drivers was so fierce that companies that really don't say much of anything publicly <laughs> were putting out press releases. This is how much they wanted to publicize it. The problem with it, of course, is that when you put through a, a, a compensation increase, that they are sticky. You can't roll them back that easy. Now, I was interested to hear you say, Around mid-July, you started seeing the, you know, the problems really recruiting drivers enough that it kind of flashed a red light. And a couple of weeks later, you had an increase. Now, in 2019, a lot of companies, publicly traded companies, were saying we're struggling a little bit because we've got rates that were put into effect a year ago, and the, the rates we're getting for our freight aren't justifying it. So this is a big decision to make. So does that concern you? Are you I mean, you had, to, you had to react to the current market, but do you get concerned about a 2021 market that doesn't justify these higher prices? Great point. You know, Dave Oren, one of our shareholders, and I were having a discussion about that exact topic, topic yesterday. So at the end of the day, what you're basically saying is, I can't take it back. It'd be very difficult to take it back, right? But yet we all know rates ebb and flow with market conditions. So there's a risk. There's a risk involved that if, if the market tanks and the rates drop by what we saw back in March and April, if that were to happen again, it'd be difficult. Um, there'd be turnover that would be created if we had to reel those back. So hopefully um, us and the companies like Schneider that are doing these things are in a good enough financial position that we'll be able to weather that storm. And that, that's our end goal is to not have to take it back ever. Yeah. Now, one, one thing when we spoke, uh, when we did, I did the story for Freightways and you contributed to that. One of the things that I found interesting was the reduction in lease payments. And the reduction in lease payments certainly puts a lot more in the driver's pocket right now, but it can get them further away from the, what I thought was the ultimate goal, which was, uh, which was paying the thing off <laughs> and owning the truck. And you had said something to me that I just found fascinating, which is that a lot of the drivers, they don't really view it that way. Like this is just rent that they pay sort of every month. And the fact that maybe now they're going to be further away from it is secondary compared to the fact that they've got more money in their wallet, more money in their paycheck. Uh, is that standard or is that just kind of a small group of that? Well, I, I would say there's a small group that are looking to pay that off and own it for the rest of their life. It's kind of like, 
you know, uh, I, I lease a car for myself. And really the intent is at the end of the 24, 48 months, I'm just going to turn it back and get another car. Here's the reality of it on the driver's side. We do at Dart, Dart Network with all the number of contractors we have, have a lot of people that run older trucks. But if you look at the maintenance cost per mile, the reliability, the uptime versus the downtime on those older units, there's a significant difference. So quite frankly, what we would try to promote would be run that thing for your three years, walk away from your lease, jump right into your new one. And I think from that perspective, your point's valid. The driver's just saving $400 a month for three years and he's bumping into a brand new one again. Interesting. Okay, you're, I mean, the car analogy is good. There are people, and I've never leased a car, but there are people who are content to lease and then take out another lease. And my daughter okay. is one of them. I, I advise her against it, but she doesn't listen to me. Hard yep. to believe. Uh, one final question on the pay on that uh, split between you know sixty five versus sixty eight and the increase in base rate. As an employer, do you care what they do? No, I mean, here's the deal. I guess in, in certain aspects, I do care because I feel passionate that truly the cent per mile package, as ATBS pointed out, works better for you over the period of 12 months. And I want you to stay with me for years to come. So I'd like you to be successful for 12 months a year and not ride that peak market for three or four months, make a ton of money, then go into a recession for three or four months and almost be broke. Because you know how that works, right? During that component of the ups and downs, you get branded as part of the problem, even though it could be a true economic issue, right? Um, so then those guys walk away from Dart or from Schneider or from Knight Swift thinking that, that we're the issue when really it's just the economic times. So personally, I'd love to see the guys on the cent per mile package because I think it levels their year off. But really, you know, it, it's not a, a point of contention to the point where I debate it with drivers. I can give them my opinion. I can show them the ATBS study. And then from that point, if they'd like to be on one that may not be the one I would choose, sign them up and and coveted. All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about you and what you've done this year. You made an interesting shift. Uh, you joined DART, um, and uh, maybe you can talk about where you came from, what you were doing previously. And you joined as president in the middle of a pandemic, uh, which I imagine when the, when the search for DART's new president started, that was not on the agenda. Uh, so what was it like to, to make the move and, uh, and to, to join in the middle of this, we hope, once-in-a-lifetime experience? It was... Uh... You know, I, I came in the 1st of December was when I was appointed as the president and CEO. Things were very good. You know, December, January started making a lot of changes, a lot of positive enhancements. And then to your point, boom, COVID hits. Um, it's almost jaw dropping, right? The day that we sat here and we we're in my office and we're talking about having to take and, and mobilize our entire office to go home and work. 367 office people, and we needed to do it virtually overnight. I mean, that's something I don't know that anybody in the role for years could have planned for, much less a guy had only been here for a couple months. Um, so it was definitely not what I had planned. And, and, you know, the progress that we had made, there's a certain component of it, no matter how well people work from home, that you gain, you, you gain a synergy of being in the office. It's like a football team, right? We could have all Pro Bowl football players but if they never practice on the same field together and throw balls to each other, they're not going to be as good on game day as if they had practiced together. Um, yeah, I mean, it, so, this is my this is my point when we discuss this, you know, among people that right now, really all companies 
are benefiting from interpersonal relationships that were established before the pandemic. Uh, you know, you go out over four or five years, not that the pandemic's going to last four or five years, but the idea that nobody's going back into the office again, at a certain point, those interpersonal relationships fade away. People quit, they retire, they resign, maybe they pass away, and, you know, you're replaced with a brand new person that doesn't have that tie. You can benefit from it now, but you won't benefit from it forever. And how you teach the culture, right? So DART has got a brand. Don Oren, who's the chairman of the board, and that's who I report to, is an 89-year-old individual. They've owned this business since 1934. There's a culture there. So to your point, over the next four or five years, if you're bringing in 15 20% new people each year that never got to be a part of that, that game day feel, and, and it's all done virtually, even if you do a great job and have multiple Zoom meetings a day and all these different things, I just don't see it being the same, John. All right. I don't know how specific you can get, but uh, I'm sure that you had some plans uh, for DART, you know, two or three million goals in the first year. And I guess the first goal became get through the pandemic. But when you take over a new company, uh, what were some of the things that you uh, that, that you decided? Again, I, I know you're not going to get too specific to DART, but just in general, what are some of the issues that you have to tackle in taking over the presidency of a company as large as DART? Well, the first probably 30 days, I just sat back and kind of watched the different departments, watched the KPIs and the numbers. Um, I had a pretty good customer base that I'd built up over the last 20 years and a lot of good relationships. Fortunately, we did business with many of those customers. So I had to get out and get in front of them. Uh, luckily, I had three months where I was able to visit customers prior to COVID and establish who we are and what we're doing. Um, and also was able to hear from them and learn about their perception of, of us as a company and, and where they saw us fitting in. So the first thing we worked on was really rebuilding our brand in terms of the freight network and, and where we went, how we went, the performance we provide to the customers. I'm going to be a little bit frank here. We had some service that wasn't the greatest, right? We've worked on that and we worked on it a lot. So when I came in, one of the customers, and I won't mention him, um, specifically, but he said to me, Dave, known you a long time. He said, we've been with Dart for a long time, legacy provider, but you're in an all-time low on service. That's an eye-opener too, John, when you're a new CEO of a company and you got to get out in front of people and hear that. Now, the positive is I was able to come back with my operating team, give that feedback to them. We were able to work on a game plan. Now with that same exact customer, we grew by $15 million in the last nine months. And we're ranked number nine year to date on their annual scorecard. Um, so we've made some definite progress in that regard. We want to be best in class at service. Um, you're only as good as what you can sell. And I believe that that service will keep us in not only the peaks, but in the valleys too. So when that freight's not as plentiful, they're going to go to the guy that provides the best service. Now, the other end of that spectrum is when there's so much freight, there's not enough capacity, perhaps anybody gets it. But again, I want to have it year round. So that was one of our first focuses um, and, and by the time we got really working through that, that's when COVID hit. So some of the direction that I would normally focus on changed, right? We had to figure out how to get people mobilized and working from home. And, and we had to maintain the service we built up over the first four months. Uh, right now, we're okay. very much back in the office, I would tell you. Well, let's talk about peaks and valleys. I mean, you've seen them in, in your short time there. I've got to imagine your valley was very much April. It certainly was for everybody else. Uh, and peak is maybe right now. Uh, how, how severe, I hate to say severe, how radical was the change from that valley of April to the peak you see today? 
Well, you know, so for us, just on an operating ratio standpoint, we were doing very well, moving down and better and better every month. And we hit to April and I jumped back up by three points. When you're the new guy that came in and talked about how you're going to do certain things, you don't want to jump back up by three points in a month. Um, then we dropped back down by 50% of that in May. Now we're back on target. August was our best month of the year. September should be even better um, when the numbers are all said and done. And I think, um, I feel very confident that peak season is going to be very good for all carriers this year. And that, that's a good thing for our industry as a whole. Well, that's good to hear. It's certainly, as you know, there will be a year that you will always remember. Yep, definitely, John. So I want to thank Dave Abels uh, for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Dave is the president and CEO of Dark Transportation. We never, m m my fault, didn't say that you had come from PAM Transport, correct? You where you've been for 13 years, or not 13 years, but you were VP of Operations? Yep. Okay. Yep. Good company. Uh, a lot of admiration for those guys. Um, and, you know, hope, wish them the best of luck going forward as well. All right, Dave, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. You have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the major platforms for podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts. You know what? I always start to do this list, and there's no point because there's so many platforms. Now I can't remember them all, but they're out there. And certainly you can see us on Freightways.com. I want to thank my guest today, Dave Abels. My name is John Kingston. Please join us again. Please join us again.